0: Alright, so we always like to start out talking about the gospel, (coughs) and let's just open it up. What is the gospel? Does anybody want to talk about that? Let you guys talk first. What is the gospel?
1: John three sixteen.
0: John three sixteen. What does it say? God so loved
1: the world that he gave his only begotten son.
0: And what does that mean?
1: Father gave us His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He yeah.
2: became our high priest once for all, and He He defeated the sin and the death. And He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God and for us every day.
1: Yeah,
0: that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's very good. Mm-hmm. Very good. Anybody else? It's the greatest news in the world, right? Because all that is true. We have eternal life. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. I'm going to read in Galatians. <coughs> Galatians chapter one. I'm going to start in verse one. And this is Paul talking, and this is a a really a really good section of scripture. I'm just going to read the first nine verses. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. I just want to stop right there for a second. We need to see ourselves like this, that we are sent out, just as Paul, into the world to proclaim the gospel. And that's what that Paul is, is, is starting out with here. And it talks about over If anybody, you know, some people, I hear people today say, well, I didn't want to witness th- to that person because I was waiting on the Holy Spirit to prompt me. <laughs> you know, I, you hear that kind of thing. Like, you're supposed to hear some voice from heaven to say, oh, go witness to that person. Let me read Matthew 28 real quick. All authority, this is verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven. This is Jesus Christ talking. And on earth, go, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Are we to the end of the age yet? (laughs) No. We don't have to sit here and go, I I don't want to witness to this person until I get... Uh, prompting from the Holy Spirit. We have been commanded. You don't have to wait on that. So I just want to throw that out there because I hear that kind of thing today and I've heard people say that quite often. So anyway, Paul, an apostle not sent from man nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him, that's Jesus Christ from the dead and all the brethren who were with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom will be glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. That's Jesus who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's the, the Greek word anathema, which means sent to hell, burned in hell. It's a very strong word. and we And we have have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be anathema, accursed. And so this, <clears throat> this section of scripture is, is important because Paul is telling us that he's sent from God. Jesus has sent all of us who are Christians to go out into the world And to preach the gospel. And he, right off the bat, starts talking about how the grace and peace is from God, our our Father, in verse 3. And we've talked in this class before how that the only peace, the only true peace that can be known is that within Christianity. That that you can't have true peace without being a Christian. Life outside of Christ has no peace. It, It doesn't exist. You're always going to be... There's always going to be something that is going to be missing, and you're always going to be grasping for something that's right here. This is the only place it's found, right? Because we're created for a purpose. We're created to glorify God. that's why that we exist. And so Paul's telling us here that Jesus died so that he he gave himself for our sins, It says, So that he might rescue us from the present evil age. That should seem all the more obvious to us today, right? I mean, we had a great victory in Road versus Wade this week. And that seems like there's, you know, we get little glimpses of, of, of awesome things that God's doing in his work. But have you seen some of the reactions to that? Does that not shock you on some of the reactions that we see? from people and the way that they act like they're... Some of them act like they're de- demon-possessed, and they very well could be. It's it's amazing whenever you start seeing some of the ways that people are reacting to this. They want the freedom to be able to murder their babies. And they're angry that they, they have to go to another state now to do that. To this state. <laughs> and mm-hmm. to other states. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, unfortunately. So it is a battle that we do have to keep fighting, but, we're, but it, it is... Um, it is a glimmer of, of hope. But understanding that Jesus Christ died for us, he died for, it doesn't matter if we are murderers, it doesn't matter what we've done, he died to rescue us from our sins, it says, in this present evil age. So it doesn't matter how wicked that we are, how, how much that we've missed the mark by our sins, God died for us. That's the gospel. He died to rescue us from our sins, so that we, whenever we stand before a holy God, will be found blameless. It's the greatest news in the world. I can't think of. of, um, That's why I always have to start this class with the gospel, because I can't. I can't think of any anything better to say than that. (laughs) You know, and the gospel really is the ocean that we swim in. I mean, our whole study is just. You know, this is the God who rescued us from our sins. I want to know this God. This is who I want to know so I can love him in a greater way. That's what this is all about. And Paul goes on to talk about how that, that there is another gospel out there. He says, it's not really another gospel though. Mm-hmm. And we see that so prevalent today. We see other things that are being shown as being just as important or equally as important from the church. Social gospel, right? There's social gospel. There's things that you should do. It's always about works or or trying to be... Um, it boils down to pragmatism. It's trying to be what the world really wants you to be, right? And so that's, that's another gospel. Because the gospel itself is offensive. The gospel is offensive. And, and we need to understand that. And we can't... Expect the world to embrace it as though it isn't. It is. There's only one way to heaven. That's it. Jesus Christ. That's it. You can't earn it. That's offensive. That's offensive. The only way that we can be saved is faith through Jesus Christ alone. That's it. Mohammed's not going to save you. Buddha's not going to save you. Giving money to the church isn't going to save you. There's nothing that can save you. Except Jesus Christ himself. That's offensive. People want to earn it. People say, oh, that's not fair. But there's a lot of other Gospels out there. And Paul's warning us of that. And so it's always good to start with the right Gospel and understand what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. And be on our guard. Be on our guard today. Because there is a lot of this. If it was going on in Paul's day... And we know the, the world get, only gets darker and darker until Christ comes back, right? Then how, how prevalent is it today? How prevalent is today? There's so many churches that have gone apostate. So many. I mean, every church started out with the gospel, with good intentions. And they started giving in, giving in to social things, giving in to trying to be pleasing to the world, wanting to, to grow more numbers in their church. And what happens? They have to become more like the world, because the gospel's offensive. So and at some point, <coughs> why go? Yeah, why go to church? Because it's not different than the world. Yeah, that's true. It's, it becomes a social club, don't it? Yeah, it just becomes a social club. That's the reason. There's a church. There's a church back in Jonesboro that we everybody called <laughs> called it Six Flags over Jesus. <laughs> 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 If that gives you any kind of idea what kind of church it was and how big it was. So, yeah, Six Flags Over Jesus. I thought that was good. So, we always want to start anything. Oh, go ahead.
1: They had uh, Touchdown Jesus outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a huge foam statue of Jesus coming up out of the lake with his arms raised, looking to the heavens. And a lightning struck that thing and burned it down. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> it, it the phone wow. It was, it was gone. <laughs> that is... <laughs> <laughs> it oh, wow. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. Well, we always want to start the the study with the gospel and understanding who it is that we're getting to know, who it is that we worship, who it is that we want to glorify. We've jumped into the immutability of God on page 70. I think we're on page 72. We've been kind of just got started on it last week. And we started talking about how that, that God is perfect, right? He's a perfect God. And if he's perfect, how can you change perfection? Would it do any good to change something that is already perfect and so understanding that God is immutable because he's perfect is important for us to understand his character because what we want to do and we've talked about this a few times in this study because we're human beings and we relate to human beings that's really what we all we know that's what we see um, that's what we can relate to because that's who we are God's not like us though He's not like us, but He's perfect in all that He is. And where we are are people who are are changing from moment to moment, I mean, we've we've talked about that already today, talking about how churches have gone apostate throughout the years. They've changed. Um, We see things like that. We see churches today wanting to bend to what society demands for us to be. And a lot of times, uh, the churches, they they bend to what society wants them to be. Or they become enemies, right? They become haters. Um, And so there's a lot of pressure on Christians. There's a lot of of pressure on the church, on pastors, on um, people that are in leadership. Because all the barrels of the world, they're all aimed at these leaders. And they've got a hair trigger. And they're just full of social issues, right? And so these, these pastors and teachers know that. And so... It's easy for them to, to bend and and to change and but we see that and we see you know how that some people that we have respected I know that there's been people that you've respected that's been a pastor that has probably fallen at some point there's I mean there, how many names can we name of pastors that that have fallen in the ministry that were well respected and um, and they've completely lost any credibility whatsoever. One of the guys that uh, I've been following for probably five or six years, he just got kicked out of his church this week, or last week, since it's a Sunday, um, for some things that he did. And, uh, of course, it, it's it's very saddening to see that. But when we see all this change, and we see these things happening, it's easy for us to start thinking of God in that way, but it's very comforting to know and to understand that God isn't swayed by anything. He isn't. He doesn't change because society demands him to change. He doesn't. Um, th- he doesn't have to 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 change in order to to love us anymore. He doesn't become more wrathful because we've angered him. Right. I mean, everything that that he is, is perfect. And if he's perfect, there's no need for him to change in any way. And we've been reading some of the scriptures about his immutability. And over on page 72, uh, I've got a couple quotes. And this one is really long from Thomas Watson. I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing because it's so long. But you guys can read it. The first one is from Steve Lawson. It says, If God were to increase, that would mean that he is less than what he will become or if God were to decrease that would mean that he is declining in all of the fullness of his attributes. So, in other words, we don't ever have to worry about God becoming less than than what he is right now. We don't have to ever think about God becoming greater than what than what he is right now. Because he's already greatness to the max, right? there is nothing greater than god so it's this is something for us to 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 wrestle with and to understand that the god that we are dealing with here is one he doesn't bend or change because of of circumstances or because of of things that that happened in this world and and we've talked about open theism we've talked about all these different views of god and how that God, you know, it, it kind of changes or sways. Uh, that society has has uh, the ability to to the power to change God. We we don't have any power to change God. We have no power to change God. God has all the power, and He's unchangeable. He's the one that changes us. Whenever we read scriptures about how that God is going to give you the desires of our hearts and things like that. Whenever we read these things into context, what it shows is not that God is changing in any way, but that we're changing and we're growing to be who God has called us to be, right? So whenever we get to a point in sanctification, and we're living in the way that God has willed for us to live. When we're operating in the gifts that He's given us. He's given every person in this room a gift. When we're operating in those gifts and we're doing the things that God has called us to do, He's going to give us the desires of our heart because what's the desires of our heart? <laughs> it's to glorify Him, right? It's not to, to get a, a new house or a Lamborghini or these type of things that are something that's just going to burn one day. This whole planet is going to burn one day. But God is in, he, he. wants to give us things that is eternal, things that are everlasting. And so these are the things that He's going to give us and this is His great will. Um, Thomas Watson talks here and this is a really good quote I think I'm going to just read the last sentence though because it's a really long quote I I encourage you guys to read this when you get home it's from A Body of Divinity which is a good book, I've mentioned it a few times in this class I I, I recommend getting it and reading the whole book but at least read this whole quote it's just going to take up too much time to read the whole thing but I'm going to read the last sentence because this is kind of a summary so the last sentence says, In God there is nothing that looks like a change for better or worse. Not better, because then he w- He were not perfect, not worse, for then he would cease to be perfect. He is immutably holy, immutably good. There is no shadow of change in him. And that's Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan writer. So, Watson's just re- reinforcing the things that we've been talking about, right? That God's already perfect. How are you going to improve on that? How are you going to change that? Right? You can't. Any questions or thoughts up to this point so far?
1: I would just like to say that he is quoting scripture when he says there's no shadow of change. It's not just his thoughts.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So the next section here is that God is unchanging in His character and is without passions, and this is where things may get. um, This is where that things get a little bit hard for people to understand, because when we start thinking about passions again, we start thinking, we start relating to ourselves and relating to who we are. But to say that that God has passions, what does passions do? Passions. Change people, right? A passion changes you to do something or to not do something. But if you're already perfect, you're not going to change. And that's the whole point of saying um, that he is without passions. And we're going to talk about this. It's called divine impassibility, which is the first point. And this is the actual theological term. Um, theologians use negative statements about God in order to help us define who God is. So this is we've talked about this in this class before. There are negative statements. For us in theology to help us to understand in a greater way what God is not. And then there's positive statements that shows who God is. And so this is just a a negative statement in saying that he is not, right? He is not a God of passions, right? So I've got a, we've talked a little bit about the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, this was the confession of faith that all Baptists held to, and a lot of Baptists still hold to this confession. I personally hold to this confession. I think it's an excellent confession of faith. It was written in, it was fi- the, the final version of, of this was written in 1689, but it, it was originally written in 1682. It went through two changes. Uh, but the 1682 one w- was almost ex- identical to this one the sixteen eighty nine. So if we read this, it says, the Lord our God is but a one only living and true God whose substance is in and of himself infinite in being and perfection. That's an important word, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a more pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions. And we've already talked about how that God is without parts, and that's why that we started out with the simplicity of God. And I keep bringing this up because, again, it's a, it's kind of a harder concept, but it, it boils into every ounce of theology that we're doing. All theology is um, is really, it's all interconnected. And if it's not interconnected perfectly, then you've got a bad theology. And that's why it's important to see how that that. These, these milestones hit and how to follow those all the way to their logical conclusions, right? So we've already talked about how that God is um, hes without parts where people are made of parts. We're made of noses and fingers and eyeballs and ears and all, hair a little bit or, or more, you know, or whatever. We're made of parts. Uh, God is not made of parts. God is a simple being. He's simple in his essence. And so all of his attributes are bursting out of him. Because that's who he is, right? He's not made up of his attributes. He's not made up of love and holiness and all these things, right? All these things are coming forth from him because that's who he is. That's why that we say he's a simple being. But this is talking about passions. And this is the next thing that we need to understand. Is that he is... Without passions. So I've got a, a question here, and this may be a loaded question. And it says, "What do we mean that God is without passions? What do we mean that God is without passions?" Anybody want to jump into that? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that?
2: I think like emotions run passions quite a bit, big time, and so God wouldn't be run by his emotions. right that wouldn't make sense um so i don't know passion yeah we know he has emotions he can get angry (laughs) he can be sad he can be offended but you know not like us ours is based upon (laughs) our pride and our selfishness or whatever yeah you know it's it's a lot of times People have emotions that aren't even logical. So, yeah. yeah, but for us as humans, it's a lot different than it is for God. because I mean, He's we angry, make decisions on emotions all huh? the time. Huh? We make decisions based on emotions oh, yeah. all the time. Yeah, but yeah. God does. It. I mean, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't get angry and all of a sudden zap somebody like you see in the movies. <laughs> 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 Maybe. He's Touchdown, Jesus! but I mean, and we know that he's a jealous God. So, uh, but all his is based upon right principles, right purposes, and uh, and right ends. And it's an expression, and it it's expressed so that we can understand uh, more about him too that, you know, us doing wrong, it does offend him. He, ha- he does care. I mean, you can't hurt God. Yeah. You, you know, you aren't going to change him, but you can hurt him. You can make him sad because he does love us and he does care for us, and it saddens him when we do wrong. And it's not going to change who he is just because he... With us, we can hold grudges. We can be angry and actually go beat up somebody or something, you know? But God doesn't deal on that kind of a basis.
3: People talk about falling in and out of love. You know, I fell in love (laughs) with her and then I realized one day I didn't love her anymore. You know, or crimes of passion. You know, I was so mad I had to kill him. You know, kind of a thing. So just emotion ran amok. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. So. Um, And like when you were talking about holding grudges, we can actually stop loving people. Oh yeah. You know, if we're offended enough or hurt enough or whatever, we can shut it off, you know. But thank goodness God
0: is bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy for us to walk around with a chip on our shoulder, isn't it? His emotions doesn't control him. One of the biggest places we see that's in the church. Mm -hmm. People get hurt and when people get hurt they don't want to do anything but that's not the way that we should be right i think those are some good points we see we see things in scripture that that shows us who god is that's he's dealing with us he's ta- again talking to us in that baby talk in that language in which we can understand we can understand Whenever God says, I regret making the world, All right? like he did in the, during the days of Noah, I regret making this whole thing. <laughs> we have to be careful there because we can't say, well, did God, did God not foresee that? I mean, if you could imagine, if you knew everything perfectly, if you knew the future perfectly, if you were sovereign, imagine watching the same movie a thousand times. Would you be surprised when something happened? You wouldn't. So you have to imagine God is communicating things to us, right? He's communicating to us the way that... It's not that God is regretting making us, but maybe we should say... Maybe we should take a look at our own own hearts. And we should say, this is serious. This is so serious that God regrets making mankind. This, this just shows the depravity of our sins, right? It shows us how far that we've gone. And what that should do is it should shock us. And it should drive us to his feet, right? And beg him for mercy. And beg him to forgive us because we've grieved him. Not that he's changed. There's nothing that's changed about him. But it's showing us something. God isn't surprised. He's never surprised. He knows everything. He's consistent. He's perfect. He's perfect in knowledge. He's perfect in everything. So it's not like whenever we mess, whenever we sin that He's shocked at it. He's surprised by it. He already knows, right? He already knew that. He knew that before He created the world. He knew that we were going to make that decision. He knew that we were going to rebel against Him. He knew all those things. So it's not like, oh, you know... I can't believe that they did that. You know, and then he's angered by it, like we would be because we live moment to moment. We we don't live like God. We can't. We're not omniscient. We're not I'm not present like he is, right? And so that begins to change how that we understand who he is and what it does is it magnifies who he is. It magnifies God and it magnifies how amazing and powerful that he really is. Right? It's just, it's it's amazing that God knows all these things. He's not shocked by anything. And He gives us the very breath, the very hands to sin against Him. Right? We can use these hands to sin against Him, this mouth to sin against Him. And He gives us the breath to do it, and the strength to do it. And He could stop us at any time. But His mercy allows us to do it. It's, he's not shocked by it. His grace, his patience—he's patient with us, right? Because he knows that we're his children, and he knows that we're saved. So it's amazing how that that God allows things like that. But at the same time, he isn't shocked by it, and he doesn't change. You know, so it's it's kind of cool when you start thinking about it.
2: I've heard of even a parent say to their child, "You have angered me so much. I just like to beat the living daylights out of you." <laughs> the child really knows they're in trouble, even though the parent's not going to do it. Yeah. So I think that's, like you say, that is what God is, is saying, just so that we understand. Yep. How disappointed, how saddened He is by this, and how horrible this was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the difference here is that God isn't influenced, right? He's not influenced by our sins. He's not influenced by society. He's not influenced by things because He's perfect. Right.
1: That's a great point, Mike. That, I think that's the key of the passions. Yeah. Passions are swayed by outside influences. Right. And God is
0: not. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. I've got another quote here to read. It says, "Those who predict any change whatsoever of God, whether in respect to his essence, knowledge or will," diminish all his attributes, independence, simplicity, which we've talked about, you guys should know that, eternity, omniscience, omnipotence, this robs God of his divine nature and religion of its firm foundation and assured comfort. That, you know, I mean, when you start understanding the immutability of God and the sovereignty of God, We've talked about this a few times, but I just want to reiterate it is that it's very comforting to know that. To know that God doesn't change his mind about things. You know, whenever he saved us, he doesn't go, oh man, you know, they really screwed that up. So, to hell with him, you know, he, literally, he's gone. You know, that was the last straw, you know. God. <laughs> that's what we would do, right? That's what we would do. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. So that's that's um that's a great comfort to us that he loves us, right? He loves us and he's going he he's unchangeable no matter what we do.
2: I'm just thinking, you know, like a child you know they want something. So they just their parent, like their parent and Finally the parent just gets tired of hearing and gives in. So we know that they that God has done that. You see that in the scriptures. That somebody's, you know his kayak complained enough, you know, he wanted to live, so God let him live. <laughs> so what did we learn from that? God didn't change. So why did he give in? He doesn't get tired of hearing it, so <laughs> <laughs> just don't shake your head. <laughs> no, I'm just
0: listening, it's good. It's That's good for it? yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean so
0: Comment <laughs> rephrase that a little bit.
2: Um, well if God doesn't change, okay, and he had determined that his ki- it was his time to die. Yeah. And yet he, you know, I wanna live, like, you know, all these things that he begged for and God let him live. He gave him so many more years. So Yeah. It didn't turn out to his good.
0: Right. Obviously. Right. Yeah. So
2: why did God into him and what lesson is there for us since God doesn't change I mean yeah is it is that a lesson oh well if I just bug God enough he's going to give me what I want
0: right no no not not at all I I think with that um I think that that was always God's plan from the get-go is I don't think he ever changed just like prayer you know we say you know we talk about how how that we pray does prayer actually change god's mind or does pr- prayer actually change us right the outcomes have already been pre- they've already god is not ch- he's not going to change his mind on the outcomes right they whatever his whatever the outcome is going to be is going to be there's different means that changes us to get to those outcomes right and so in 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 that case, and in the case I think ultimately with prayer is probably the better question, is, you know, that person that we're we're praying for that's lost, I'll just use that as an example to to prove that, I mean, you can take this, there's a thousand different examples you can use for that that very same situation. And that person that we've been praying for, that is lost, for God to save them, and God does save them, well, we got to enter into that, right? We got to be par- to be part of God's work and God's plan, and so that's a great that's a great blessing for us, and it helps us to benefit. We we learn to grow and to trust in God. God is going to save this person anyway. He's going to save this person, but He uses means, and, and that's amazing that He uses us to do anything. And I and I use it. One of the examples that I like to say is, you know, if I'm working on a, a car or working on something and you've and you got little kids smaller than Blake and Cody, you know, when they're, when they're small, you want to get them involved in your work. You want to get them involved in doing things even though you know it's going to be aggravating and you know it's going to take you twice as long to do it, right? But because you love your children, you want to get them involved in your work. You want to get them involved in the things that you're doing. To help them to grow and to mature and to be who that you want them to become. And so God does the same thing with us. And so he already has things that's going to happen. But he uses us to accomplish those things. And a lot of times it's through prayer. A lot of times it's through preaching the, the Bible, preaching the word of God. Sometimes it's just sitting down and talking to somebody like a friend you know god uses us in those ways and i think that i think that's kind of the same thing that that you're that you're getting at you know he got he got more years of life but we don't know what was going on in that time we don't know the people that that was involved in god's work through that all we have is a, this much information right there may be great blessing in other people's life that was being used, that was there was a, an outpouring of the, of him having extended life and so the the ramifications and and how that our how that people's lives are affected through one little thing is just a rippling effect, right? It can one action, one thing, can affect thousands of people, right? And so that's that's something where we have to it's it's fun to ponder about things like that. It's yeah. fun it's it's yeah, fun for
2: him it was not a good thing. Yeah. He probably would have been better off he had been content with the years that God had given him and grateful. Yeah. But then there's you know, I think there's a lesson too for for us is how much how long should we pray for something? When is it that we need to to just stop and just let God just do whatever he's going to do? But in other words we've we've asked and we've asked again. Yeah. And so if we haven't got an answer, it's just to let it be. Yeah. Let God's will be done so we don't end up like him. Yeah. Like Hezekiah, you know. In yeah. a wrong situation, yeah. But also knowing that, um, yeah. I mean, there's some things we should not give up on. Yeah. I guess that's what, what we calls being spirit led, mm-hmm. knowing when to give up and when when to continue to yeah. pray, and yeah. also evaluating what was our motive for asking.
0: Right. <laughs> you can say the same thing about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? I mean, there's there's so many different examples that you can use uh, to to make that same exact point. But it's always the same thing, you know, God already is going to do what God's going to do. Uh, but God's working all things out for the good of those who love Him, and that includes tragi- tragic things. Um, that in- that includes everything. We don't see the big picture like He does. You know, so some of these type of questions are, are difficult for us to understand because we just don't have all the facts, we don't have all the information, you know. Um, but we know that God is working all these things out and He's doing it perfectly. And his plan comes comes together right on time, right?
2: Well that's what knowing about like the first and attributes of God, knowing who God is. Yeah. So that even in a time when it just it doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair, how could yeah. I do this? That we take a step back and, and just trust. God isn't gonna you know, bring this on us because he doesn't care. But there is yeah. a plan and purpose. Maybe not directly for us, but for those. Around us, Mm -hmm. we don't know how far
0: around us this is going to be. So that's that's something that we should keep in mind too, because a lot of times, you know, Christians will go through tragedy or they'll go through something, and it seems like there is no purpose for it. Kind of like Mm -hmm. more years of life or you know different things like that. Sometimes the things that we're going through isn't for us. Sometimes it's not about us, Mm -hmm. and so and that's very. It's, that's, that's hard for us to swallow sometimes. You know, we're going through something that's hard and something that's difficult, and it's not even for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: we ask God to use us, and then we complain when he does that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's for other people. And, and God uses things like tragedy to work in the lives of others. And sometimes he uses our struggles that we may not see a, a purpose for, to help somebody down the road that's going through the same thing. I mean, that's just a small example of, of some of the things that God could be doing in, th- in this. But, yeah, that's those are some good good thoughts, though. Those are some good thoughts. So i got a point. Uh, it says, from age to age, he, God, is forever the same. He does not change with the times or with the culture. We've, we've already talked a little bit about that. You know, they say a lot of people say, well we need to make we need to make the Bible relative to the culture. We need to make it um, relevant to the times. It's old fashioned stuff, you know. Nobody nobody lives like that anymore. Has that has that idea ever turned out to be a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> ever in history? Anytime that we start wanting to make the Bible relative to culture or to the age then all we start doing is we start changing it and we start either leaving some of it out or we start adding to it which is the very thing that scripture commands us not to do because the scripture it it, it, it cuts across all cultures and all times it's just as relevant no matter what time period you live in or what country you live in that's why the that whenever one of the things when you look across history and and I love to study church history the people who stand out are the people who were expositional teachers who taught verse by verse through whole books of the Bible those are the guys that we still admire today and we still read their books not people who are pragmatic right not people who are changing with the times not people who are squishy right and and kind of going along with society we see those we see we have very we have giants in the faith that we can look back on and admire because of their strong stance during hard times and many of them were martyred for their stance in all kinds of awful and terrible ways right but what an impact on the church that that people like this have had and today you know i mean we see we see churches and we see denominations and uh, all kinds of people just wanting to bow back, to to disappear, to be to blend more and assimilate into society. Instead of standing firm in the faith and saying, This is what it means and this is what it says and this is what I believe. You know, and, and standing firm on it. God does not change his mind. He's not gonna change what he's written in scripture. It doesn't matter what culture you live in. It doesn't matter what time period you live in. It's always the truth. It's always the truth, no matter no matter what. And so this is this is a very very important thing to understand. The next question says he's not influenced by anything or anyone. Acts 14 verse 15. Who wants to read that? Acts 14, 15. Go ahead, Rick.
1: We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things. ...to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them.
0: So we're going to look at the context of, of Acts 14 and what's going on here. But that word nature that we've got, I've got that underlined. Um, this word, it's translated from the Greek word homoopathos. opathos, And that means passions or subject to lack to like passions okay so instead of the word nature a better translation would be passions that's that's actually going to be and I don't know if any of any I haven't looked at all the Bible translations to see if anybody accurately translated that word as passions but that's actually what it should say <clears throat> so Acts 14 11 through 18 will give us the context of what's going on here when the crowd saw that Paul had what they had what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lacinian language, sorry, the gods have become like men and have come down to us and they began calling Barabbas, Zeus, uh, I'm sorry Barnabas, Zeus, I can't read today. Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, they're they calling Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. the priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds but when the apostles when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd crying out and saying men why are you doing these things we are Also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you and you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by he permitted all the nations to go their own ways and yet he did not leave himself without witnesses in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven in fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, even saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So basically, what's going on here is Paul and Barnabas, they begin to be looked at as being gods. And, of course, this is very disturbing to them, obviously. They don't want to take any credit or anything like that, and, and this is blasphemy. And so they're quick to to say look you know you guys need to be careful here next point Paul and Barnabas weren't simply saying that they are of the same nature or passions as other men they were comparing the gods of Greece to themselves the gods of Greece had the same nature and pa- and same passions as humans but the God isn't like us or your gods so the God is not like us and that's that's what he's saying here when he's talking about his nature. So they're telling they're telling the crowds here to not worship gods that are passionate, that have the same passions as what they have. Right. So they're not not to worship gods that have the passions that the same things that that they have, same things that they feel, but to worship the the one true God who isn't prone to passions like his creatures are. So in other words, don't worship uh, passable. You know, we use that word passable or passionate beings. That's what Paul and and, um, and Barnabas is doing here, is saying you need to stop worshipping these gods that change. They're, you're worshipping gods that are just like you. Uh, worship a god that doesn't change, that doesn't have the, the literal word as passions. Um, and so that's what all false gods are. When you start looking at Greek gods, and any God, besides the one true God, they're always a God that changes. It's There's something that they need from us, and which fulfills them. <laughs> you complete me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's either that, because they're missing something. So they need us to do something for them in order for them to benefit. Or they're worshiping... Uh, if, you, if you've ever studied Greek mythology, I mean, those gods... They have.
3: It's like a soap opera. Yes, it's
0: it's crazy, it's crazy, and that's what's going on here. Is he's saying, look, you're you're worshiping gods that have that have passions like you. Let me tell you about a god that doesn't have passions. He doesn't change. He's not given into um, the same things that you give into, um, and so that's I think uh, something important that we can see here in the book of Acts. So. And again, it's because a perfect being never needs to change. It's talking about these vain things here, and and that's in verse 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, so the same passions as you, and preach the gospel so you and so that you should turn from these vain things. Things. Turn from what vain things? That's the next question. It says, what are the vain things that they should turn from? And what's the context of that? What is it? Idols. Idols, well. He's talking about gods have, up at the beginning, the gods have become like men, right? They've become like men. And then he goes on in in verse 15 and says, of the same nature as you. So again, and That word, nature's passions, so will have the same passions as you, right? So he's saying that these vain things that you should turn from is worshiping, you're right, idolatry. But uh, more specifically, is idols that are made in your in your image, right? That have the same passions as as you do, passionate like humans, in other words. So. A God that, um, that needs to receive or depends upon passions from people in order to fill passions for the people. Right?
2: Kind of equating us to them. Right. Making ourselves as gods. Right, yeah. To some degree. Yeah. To every degree.
0: Yeah, so if, if, if there's some other God out there and that God needs my passion for him, in order to feel passion for me. <laughs> right? That's what, that's what they're saying here. Uh, then that's a vain God. That's a vain God that you're worshiping. That's what he said. That's what they're saying here. This is a God of paganism. So the next point says, when we come to God, we need not worry that he is in a foul mood, because he experiences mood swings... Like we do. <laughs> uh, how many people here ever have mood swings? <laughs> Job 35, 5 through 8 says, Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds. They are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are many, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness is for a man like yourself, and your righteousness is for a son of man. This is just a showing us that he, he doesn't have mood swings. He's not swayed. We can't change who he is. We can't change his mood whether we do things good or bad, whether we're, whether we're doing evil things or we're doing righteous things. When we do righteous things, we, God isn't more righteous, Right. When we're doing evil things, he's not going to be more resentful toward us. He's not going to be more more wrathful. We're going to get a perfect justice. That's when we get to the word. When we start talking about justice, and we get to the attribute of justice, it's important for us to understand that God gives due punishment. He gives punishment that we deserve. He doesn't give us one ounce above what we deserve, and he doesn't give us. I shouldn't say us. I should say the world. Okay. I'm talking about the world. God doesn't give the world any greater punishment than what they actually deserve, and he doesn't give them any less punishment than what they deserve. He gets th- he gives them the exact perfect amount that they deserve, right? And so, and that's hard for us to understand when we start thinking about what hell is. And we're going to get to that when we start talking about about the justice of God, but I think it's applicable to understand that he isn't going to, to get angry and overreact like we tend to do. A lot of times we want to overreact and do things that are, are way more wicked than we would have done in, in, a, in a sound and reasonable mind. right? God doesn't do that. And so that's kind of the point here. And I've got another quote. It says, it, It's not lack of intensity... It's the unboundedness of intensity and reality that makes God impassable for us. If God loved you passionately, he would love you temporarily, mutably, and finitely. And I think that's a good point. Because if, if God loved us with some kind of a passion, that means that his love had changed. And then it's going to stop at some point. Because passion stops. right? Passion is only something for a moment so to say that God loves you in a passionate way even though it sounds good um, it's not right it's incorrect because passions end passions stop passions change God does not change right he's full to the max at all at any given moment of love and if he's a hundred percent love he's not going to love you anymore or any less right it's, he, he's constant. He's consistent. He's perfect, right? He's not loving you at sixty percent, and then whenever you do something good, he gets passionate and he goes, "Oh, I'm going to love you at eighty percent now for the next week," and then I'm going to go back to sixty percent, right? No, he's a hundred percent all the time. That's con- that's a consistent God, right? That's a perfect and consistent God. And that's important. I think that's important for us to understand. It's hard for us to comprehend because we're people who are, who are not like this. Any thoughts on this section so far? Or questions or comments? Or has this helped or changed the way that you view God in any way? Hopefully in a better way. <laughs> uh, I like the last
3: quote very much because I think when you first hear... God is passionless, it almost sounds like he's doesn't care or he's indifferent or yeah. whatever, but and you know, like we can't sustain <coughs> that level of passion. Right. He is the word. But he just lives that way. I mean he just is that way. And so what we're saying is his passion is not like a tsunami that comes in and wipes you out, <laughs> but it's constant.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. Did you get that from a song? Isn't there a song (laughs) that says something like that? I don't think I I got it
3: from a
0: song. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed like there's a song. Nikki, is there a song? I don't know.
1: Like
0: that? (laughs) I think it's a bad song, like Jesus Culture or something. (laughs) Well, then I definitely didn't. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What were you referring
0: to, The one Is it the one where he, 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 like, a sloppy wit kiss or something? And there's something about. Your love is like a hurricane or something and I think I don't know. For some reason that went to <laughs> I started thinking about that when you said that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it uh, to me it's a lot more comforting to know that God's at a maximum 100% love for me and 100% at all times and he's not changed by anything I do. It's always 100% you know and that and just understanding that it's very reassuring and very comforting to know that, that God loves me, and God's merciful with me. His mercy is 100 percent. His grace, 100 percent, right? All these things are 100 percent at all times, and if they're hundred percent, they're not going to change. They're not going to change. All right, well good. We're, we're out of time. We're out of time before we jump into this next section on 75 god is unchanging in his word which is another thing that's going to be awesome to look at is there any other last comments or thoughts or anything we got about two minutes
2: when i first read the statement about the passions i was thinking about things that we kind of are passionate about so you know i might say that i like sports but i'm really passionate about basketball yeah and so i don't think that that's the case with god you know God doesn't have his favorites. Like he doesn't—he's not going to say, "Well, I love preachers the most because they're proclaiming my word," you know. But he loves us all the same, and his desire for all of us is that we come to know him. Yeah. Um, so I took it more of a from the perspective of favorites. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. That's another good point. That's that's comforting to us to know that that God loves us just as much as He does Brandon. You know, that God, you know, he, he's not rooting for Brandon or, or Rick because they're in leadership. And so he, like, he loves them in a greater way, more passionate about them, like we would be for a, a ball team or something. But his love for Rick and for Brandon is 100%. And his love for us is 100%. So there's no, there's no change depend, no, depending on what position we hold at the church or, or what we do or whatever it is. You know, even in the body of Christ... We're all 100% loved by God. 100% loved by God. That's a good point.
2: You hear that from people who are lost? God couldn't possibly love me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you do. And that's sad.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this. If I figured yeah. Even No, I'm not special. I'll add this. <laughs> <laughs> the, um When we witness to somebody that God's love exceeds their failures, no matter what that is. And it's not because of how he's responding to them, but how he responds within himself to us. is I think important. That makes it easier to witness to people who we think, I would not say, it, but God might.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think, I know I struggle with that. I think we all struggle with that from time to time.
1: That was one of the things I heard last week. How much should we hate someone that we would not tell them the gospel? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what it is. We we think, well, we don't want to hurt their feelings, you know. The most loving thing is to not tell it, you know, not hurt their feelings.
3: You think that's even really the motive, or is it that we don't want to
0: be rejected, or yeah. we don't want them to be angry at us, you know? Yeah, I think we use all kinds of excuses, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Well, good. Good. I think this has been fun to talk about. I hope you guys are having as much fun as I am with this.